From the Western Riverside Council of Governments, I'm Rachel Singer, and this is CogCast. As the largest metropolitan planning agency in the country, the Southern California Association of Governments undertakes a variety of efforts to elevate the quality of life throughout the region. Leading the agency is SCAG Executive Director Komi Ajise, who joins us on the podcast today to share about Connect SoCal, COVID-19, housing, and much more. So Komi, thank you so much for being here with us today. Can you start us off by sharing just about your professional career? Actually, okay, good. Well, again, thank you, Rachel, for... Um, for this opportunity to join you uh, on, on, the, on the podcast. Um, my career, asking about my career, is uh, spanned over a period of about 30 plus years. I was a graduate student at Fresno State and saw an opportunity to go work for Caltrans as a graduate student assistant or an intern. Mm-hmm. And so I took that opportunity back in 1988 or so and um, didn't leave. Uh, from then on uh, until I came to SCAG. So I was at Caltrans for about 29 years. Oh, wow. Um, And in that span of 29 years, I got a chance to work in different parts of the state. I started out in Fresno because I was a student at Fresno State uh, planning master's program at the time. Mm -hmm. And um, moved to Sacramento uh, on promotions as a senior planner to head the transit the transit branch in Sacramento, working with regional transit, SAC regional transit, uh, on their uh, light rail extension at the time to the south, uh, and then went on to uh, work as uh, deputy director for uh, environmental planning in, in, the, in the North State, which covered uh, three districts, three Caltrans districts, mm-hmm. um, uh, with 22 counties involved, and so was responsible for the environmental program for the department, and I came back to um, the Valley and was a district director in Stockton in one of the 12 Caltrans districts in Stockton covering eight counties in the, in the Valley. Um, that was probably one of the more fun jobs I ever <laughs> did because as a district director, you sort of own your own little uh, piece of the kingdom, mm-hmm. uh, as it were, and you have responsibility for everything within, mm-hmm. within the district. And so that was that was really exciting until I was asked to go to Sacramento to take on an acting assignment at headquarters, and that was back in the year 2009. I'm thinking now, and uh, never went back um, from the acting assignment, and subsequently had roles as the deputy director for planning for the entire department, and also was appointed. Finally, was appointed in 2014 as the uh, chief deputy director for the department by Governor Brown. Nice. I was in that role for three years before I took on the assignment at SCAG as the Director of Planning in, in November of 2017, and, uh, and then subsequently became the Executive Director last year. Wow. Okay, so lots of experience in planning and transportation and the like. <laughs> Um, (laughs) (laughs) So how do you, kind of more of a fun question, but how do you fill your free time? Uh, I I think free time time is subjective (laughs) Uh, anymore. Um, I, a lot of times, most of my free time, I I work on uh, 
more uh, family-oriented activities. Mm-hmm. Uh, trying to, I have I have uh, aged parents that we take care of, and my father-in-law as well, and so we we're always spending time dealing with their issues. And they're in Ni- they're in Nigeria, so they're far away from us. So mm-hmm. it takes a lot of coordination with my siblings, my wife, and her siblings. Mm. Um, so that's one area of engagement. Um, I I do a number of church activities uh, with my free time, mm. um, and then of course um, our kids are grown now, and we tend to find ways to spend time to continue to engage. Our son is finishing up um, his uh, his MBA in Chicago. Mm. Actually, we were planning was supposed to be there this weekend, this coming weekend. Or graduation, which will not happen, mm. uh, and then our daughter is, uh, is at, uh, at, uh, going to school in SC at uh, Southern California University of Southern California, nice. and so we spend. She's home now, and so we spend a lot of free time together trying to figure out what she's doing. And uh, right now, I think she's busy selling up all of our old furniture because she thinks our house is too cluttered. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's the nature of our free time. Uh, it's just whatever comes along. But I think most of most of what I count as free time, honestly, you probably spend on work anyway, because there's always something to see on your mm-hmm. on your email on your phone, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's a text or an email. There's something always going on. So, mm-hmm. uh, free time is very very subjective. <laughs> so, kind of transitioning a little bit, but when you go to parties. Um, what do you tell people that you do, and how do you explain what Skag does? The biggest, the big question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's always intriguing. You know, you could start out by saying, "Hey, Skag is the, uh, the 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 MPO for the six county region of Southern California," and go on and go on and on about that. And what you get is a lot of blank stares uh, <laughs> because MPO means nothing to anybody. Uh, people can't even imagine what the six county area looks like mm-hmm. to start with. So that's always a, uh, a losing opener because you lose them very quickly. Uh, what I like to say is, um, you know, the organization I work for represents um, the six county area, but it seeks to make life better for uh, all the people in Southern California, and and then you get their attention. Uh, how how do you make life better? We make life better by making sure that we have uh, we have uh, good planning in place, and we and we develop the regional um, long range plan that assures that uh, resources are used appropriately. Mm-hmm. Um, so so that begins to get their um, their attention. And the essence of the essence of the work we do is really to improve mobility and to uh, enhance the livability of our region and by reducing greenhouse gas emissions and, and such. Our planning then takes into consideration how uh, those resources within the region, whether it's infrastructure assets and uh, equity issues, are addressed to ensure that our region grows up grows together in in a in an equitable way to assure uh, a better a better Southern California in the future. So you talked a little bit about long range planning. So tied to that is I believe this thing called Connect SoCal. So can you explain what Connect SoCal is and how particularly it affects and impacts Western Riverside County? Yeah, so Connect SoCal is what we call the regional transportation plan. Um, 
every four years, our region, as well as all regions across the country, quite frankly, uh, any every across the country that metropolitan planning organizations that are established by both federal and state laws. Um, and we are uh, the largest, single largest uh, MPO in the country. And so for our region, we're charged with producing this regional transportation plan every four years. Um, in California, there's the added sustainable community strategy that's a, uh, it's an adjunct to the plan. It's uh, basically, uh, it's California trying to connect land use and transportation. And so in California, we call it an RTPSES, mm -hmm. Regional Transportation Plan Sustainable Community Strategy. And so it's a, it's a mouthful to say, you know, 2020 Regional Transportation Plan uh, Sustainable Community Strategy. So we call the Connect SoCal because that's the essence of what the plan does is to knit together a six county region, 191 cities, six counties. These jurisdictions are independent sovereign governments mm -hmm. in their own right uh, with their own boards, but they've chosen to come together to work together to uh, work on things that transcend those uh, jurisdictional boundaries that make for a region. That's mm -hmm. really the essence of a regional transportation plan. And so it's a vision document that looks out 20, 25 years to address um, the future mobility of our region, to address housing needs in our region, and also balance that with the uh, economic vitality, the environmental sustainability, and public health goals that we have for mm -hmm. our region. No so small trying task. To, yeah. <laughs> uh, so it takes, you know, it takes us a good three, three and a half years to put all of that together working with every single one of our jurisdictions so it's not like stag goes in the corner and comes out with a plan mm. stag to, we really work with every uh every one of our stakeholders including um wrcog and and rctc because of riverside county um specific to riverside county um i think we uh and i i can i can give you some detail on on uh, where it falls out because we're looking at a growth of about 1.6 million uh, jobs and 1.6 million households within mm -hmm. our region over the next 2025 years. About 4 million people, wow. uh, 3.6 million people to be specific, will be added to our region. So we're going to grow from about 19 million to uh, just north of 22 million people in the, in the region. Mm -hmm. um, in the Riverside area, we will see a growth between 2016, which is the base, and 2045. A growth from about 700,000 people to over a million people wow. in Riverside. Um, that also, uh, in terms of households, I should say, in, in Riverside. So that's a lot of households you have to plan for in terms of housing construction. Mm -hmm. So you're growing your housing needs almost 300,000 mm -hmm. um, in, in Riverside. Uh, in terms of population, it will grow by almost a million people wow. in, in, in Riverside, um, not quite a million. But about 2.3 million right now. I think in Riverside will probably go to about 3.5 million mm -hmm. is our estimation. Uh, of course, these are all things that we estimate given the best knowledge that we have right now using census numbers and Department of Finance numbers. Mm -hmm. uh, it's why we do this every four years because you get a, ch a chance to um, to see how well you've done and then, of course, update the information that you have. Mm -hmm. um, I think maybe one of the things to note um, that is significant when you start to think about the demographics of our region 
and specific to Riverside is how the population dynamics and demographics change mm -hmm. between now and 2045. We're gonna see more older population than younger population. Mm -hmm. And so that begins to shift your focus in terms of public policy, public, um, uh, public infrastructure, public policy conversations, and and what the needs of the people will look like. So, mm -hmm. if you if you imagine that you have about fourteen percent of the population right now is sixty five and older, it will grow to about twenty twenty one percent by twenty forty five, and that means there's a shift to more older people, and that's across the region, but that's specific to to Riverside. We see in Riverside, uh, given the plan, we see a decrease in in um, in vehicle miles travel. If you follow what the plan is laid out, uh, by about four uh, percent, which is significant, which means your greenhouse gases also come down. So, there are a number of um, indicators that show that this plan could yield benefits for um, the entire region, but also very specifically uh, in the Riverside area. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and. It sounds like there are a lot of different components being added into Connect SoCal, a lot of different things that are being, being taken account for. And so what are some of the challenges that are associated with creating such a broad scale plan like Connect SoCal? And what is your what is SCAG's process and how to address them? Yeah, so, yeah, uh, that excellent question. The the plan process, you know, we've we've done this several times, several cycles of, of regional transportation planning has occurred. Um, what we've done this time around, I think this is probably the most comprehensive uh, RTP that we've ever had. Um, it's also one that relied on the most advanced model that you'll find uh, anywhere in, in our business, I think. Um, and because of the size of the region, the model is even more complicated um, as a result, because that really is the essence of the analysis. But what's more important is the stakeholder engagement. Mm. Um, to put together a plan like this, you want to make sure that your data is, is has some integrity. And so we, we go through what we call a local input process, which means we take the data we already have on every single one of the 191 cities and fixed counties. And then we reflect it back to them and say, does this make sense to you? And then we meet one. We met one on one with them. This took about eighteen months to mm -hmm. meet one on one with every single one of our hundred ninety-seven jurisdictions, and then uh, have a confirmation of that local input going into the plan. That local input then comes together. That's the basis for our modeling to uh, to uh, to determine what our behavior will be like over time uh, using the household survey data that we usually get every so often from mm -hmm. uh, from the analysis that we do <clears throat> from the surveys we do in the region which is a statewide survey typically and that gives you a sense of how people travel what their interests are and also you have some sense of syndicate that as well mm -hmm. so that becomes your basis for modeling behavior and also looking at where job creation is going to be and where job jobs are going to be located and so Putting all of that together in the model allows us to then be able to show what patterns of growth we're going to see and what patterns of, uh, of mobility we're going to see and where the constraints and the opportunities might be. Mm -hmm. And so that's the essence of Connect SoCal. Got it. Uh, and, and then it looks across uh, a number of indicators. One that I think is, is probably more 
that resonates more so now is the is the uh, the equity issues, public health issues that we see in in society, and what are some of the opportunities and and uh, uh, and and constraints and challenges that that we see uh, when you start to look out uh, in terms of how we're how we're located close to jobs or further away from jobs and what opportunities are available to people. Mm-hmm. So it's a it's a very interesting involved process. And then along the line, along the process, you also then have to go out to the public, which we did last year, May, June last year. Uh, we had an extensive public outreach process. Uh, typically, we would just have public meetings. We would announce them and whoever shows up participates. Um, this time around, we actually were more proactive in trying to reach into communities that are typically not participants in the in the in the public discussions along uh, along the lines of what we do on planning. Mm. And so we had to engage eighteen community-based organizations that represent this disadvantaged populations and use them to reflect the plan to them and have them speak back to us so that the plan has some legibility with these groups that don't typically participate. Mm-hmm. And we're able to get a lot of um, a lot of input as a result. And then you want to bring all of those together to create a draft plan, which went out to circulation last November. Mm-hmm. And so now final. So it's been, uh, it's been a gratifying experience mm-hmm. to finally come to the end of the process. Uh, I came into the process when we were beginning uh, back in 2017, and so basically lived it up until now. You've really experienced the inner workings of pulling from various sources of the data that you were mentioning, as well as the local input process that you were just explaining too. So I think one question that I have is um, one potential challenge with regional agencies is that they don't typically implement policies directly with the public, but rather work through partners such as cities or counties or transportation agencies and the like. And so how does SCAG work effectively with their partners, generally speaking? You're right. SCAD does not implement um, projects or programs. I mean, we the one program that we directly relate to that we're particularly directly involved in is the Go Human mm-hmm. campaign, which is more of a tactical urbanis- urbanism, basically, where we try to show and demonstrate how um, how you could install uh, pedestrian and bike facilities within mm-hmm. the community and make it work over the course of a weekend. Uh, so people can test it. So that's something we we work very closely with communities on. It is an element of our of our uh, planning, uh, a long range plan to improve access to um, active transportation and grow the active transportation mode everywhere. So that's one area that we have some direct involvement. Other than that, mostly we don't have direct involvement. We mm-hmm. work with our stakeholders, the commissions, uh, for example, six county commissions tend to be. Um, the deliver, deliverers of projects, they deliver most of the projects, working mm-hmm. with um, agencies, lead agencies such as Caltrans and, and the transit agencies to implement mobility uh, projects. Uh, we also work with cities on some land use projects such as housing. Um, we work with them uh, with, you know, with trying to help them with how you might want to finance um, using uh, enhanced infrastructure finance district processes. We hired a consultant that helps um, us advise cities where 
that is potential. And we've seen a couple of uh, successes in the region um, where a city and a county came together to form uh, a district that allows them to be able to build um, uh, affordable housing next mm -hmm. to a transit stop. And so we, you know, one of our, one of our um, uh, programs and our plan is to build close to transit. Um, and so the transit rented developments, for example, we don't build those, but we encourage them, we help cities. And so we also have grant programs that we use as, uh, as ways to further the policies that we, uh, we have in our plan. And so we would have grant programs that go out to help cities begin to do some planning along the lines of mm -hmm. what the regional plan uh, objectives are. Mm -hmm. So there are different ways we work with communities um, to to do things. But by and large, I think one of the um, the two things that I think we bring to the table that is unique to SCAG and probably uh, similar to what WRCOG might do is to come in. Mm -hmm. um, because you're dealing with issues that are bigger than the jurisdiction, that are more regional, also regional. And so being able to convene a conversation on housing, a conversation on equity, that is more, uh, that transcends the jurisdictional boundary. That's something SCAG is good at. Mm -hmm. SCAG is made up of elected officials anyway. But the other thing is we, <clears throat> we're really a clearinghouse for data. We're a repository of data that everybody might want access to and being able to provide that at cost or below uh, at an efficient or a cost-effective way i think is is something that we pride ourselves in in allowing cities to be able to plan uh without having to engage expensive consultancy mm -hmm. uh, in the process mm -hmm. on a lighter note when i first started in local government a couple years ago i didn't have much concept for cities beyond my immediate city which was the city of riverside at that point and um my director had encouraged me to go to skags just like city profiles and i would spend hours and hours just reading on each of the different cities in the wr cog region because that's what was most pertinent to me at that moment yeah um but really so helpful and um so yeah I, I i do agree with what you said as well so in regard to planning what do you think is the most important thing to consider as we do prepare plan and develop communities whether that's in the short or long term well i think the most important thing in any plan um this is going back to planning school um is the people mm -hmm. um you know we can we can theorize about planning concepts and and the like but ultimately, once you lose sight of the people you're planning for, um, your plans really will not be effective, however good they might be. And so when we started the Connect SoCal conversation more publicly, the first question we asked that we went to our board with is, who are we planning for? Mm -hmm. uh, and what that question allowed us to do is to spend some more time dissecting the population in the region, mm -hmm. um, what they look like what they would look like and so what those needs might be that they have um, and so understanding the people's needs and and paying attention to uh, the, the dynamics of demographics mm -hmm. and and the diversity of, uh, of of the population and also the the various uh, challenges and constraints in different communities mm -hmm. um, I think begin to be um, the basis of good planning. Mm -hmm. um, so, 
the, what you end up with, the plan you end up with, honestly, is not as important in the outset on, until you've had a chance to fully understand the people you're planning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you, you mentioned this a little bit ago, <clears throat> and um, I'm curious, I want to pick your brain a little bit. So um, what role does housing play in the quality of life in Southern California? And what do you, what, what is your forecast for what housing will look like? Wow, that's a that's a I could spend two hours on. That. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, housing, honestly, housing is is one of the, if not the biggest challenge we have, mm-hmm. one of the biggest challenges we have in our region. Uh, we live in a region that is very attractive. Um, you know, the weather is conducive for people to come to live in, and so that's why we have a lot of people uh, in in the region. Um, we also have a lot of um, a lot of talented engagement within our region. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have a lot of jobs as a result of, uh, again, the conditions that we have. We have uh, the number one port complex in the country. So so we have this access and avenue for trade with the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. And so we live in a region that I think is an economic engine by itself. Mm-hmm. So people want to be here as a result uh, of that. We have issues with housing, obviously, mm-hmm. uh, in terms of affordability. Um, housing, I think the crisis that we have at hand right now, and we haven't been talking too much about it lately because of the pandemic, but the crisis has not gone away. Uh, that housing crisis, I've mentioned many times um, that it's an existential issue for us mm-hmm. because whereas back in 2008 or so, uh, 20% of folks that left the region would say housing was a factor at that time. By 2016, it was 37% of people that left the region. So mm-hmm. I would imagine that number is getting higher because it's just so difficult for people to afford um, housing uh, in our region. I also use the example of we we have about 25, 26 four-year universities that turn out talent every single year. Mm-hmm. Uh, when those students graduate every May, June uh, of every year, um, most of them can afford to live in our region. Mm-hmm. And so they're going to go somewhere else. So we're, we're creating and producing this talent mm-hmm. that can afford to live in our region. Mm-hmm. So that to me is, a, is, is, a, is an element uh, of, the, of the crisis that we have to pay attention mm-hmm. to. Mm-hmm. And when you start to lose talent, jobs follow them. And right. we'll see industries begin to migrate out. So housing becomes very very important yeah and so having the capacity to build affordable housing is one of the things that we're working with cities on um, you know building a unit of affordable housing and a unit of above market housing the cost of that unit is probably not that of those two units are probably not that different because really the cost is how you finish the interior for the most part <laughs> for the above market but you know the structure that holds that unit it's probably going to cost you the same. Mm-hmm. And so it's very difficult to build an affordable unit without some government subsidy. And since we lost redevelopment uh, across the state, cities have not had the capacity to be able to come in to buy down the cost of housing to make it affordable uh, for more, or more of our, our workforce. And so that's one area that we are fighting and championing mm-hmm. with Sacramento to give us the capacity uh, back to our cities to be able to use tax increment financing that doesn't affect 
their bottom line in terms of general funding of the cities mm-hmm. uh, allows that allow them to be able to then participate with with, with developers to build mm-hmm. more housing faster than we're kind of currently doing. Mm-hmm. So that's that's to me is one of the biggest challenges that we have in our region. Right, and especially given the growth projections that we were just talking about with Connect SoCal, it's definitely interrelated with that. Yeah, and, and, and the states basically told us that over the next 10 years, we need to add uh, another 1.3 housing units, um, which was a huge number, um, and we're still contending with that number. Uh, but there's no way we come close to adding the 1.3 million units, uh, or even half of that, uh, especially the affordable component of it, mm-hmm. if we don't have the capacity at the municipal level, at the city, county level, to be able to participate with developers to actually uh, mm-hmm. build those units. Um, because the developers will come in and build, they have to make profit mm-hmm. um, right. uh, on the capital that they expend. Uh, and so they are willing to build, but they can't build at a loss. Mm-hmm. And, and so and we've known this for a long time that to be able to build um, affordable housing, we need some measure of uh, public intervention mm-hmm. uh, with regards to being able to subsidize some of those units. Mm-hmm. And you brought a re- up a really interesting point earlier regarding um, training talent in the region mm-hmm. through the various universities that are here in Southern California or in the Skag region, and then leaving because of housing challenges. And we, I think we often find ourselves talking about the brain drain in the sense of brain drain when college graduates have to leave the region to find work elsewhere. Usually when I think of that, I think of the lack of availability of jobs, but perhaps this availability of affordable housing might be the newer challenge with the brain drain. Yeah, and and I think, you know, there are jobs. And one of the things that we have Mm -hmm. to keep in mind is um, there's also potential of many of these young people actually creating their own jobs. Mm -hmm. We forget that most of the employment that we have in our economy is small business. Mm -hmm. And it typically starts with somebody that comes out of college and starts something because they have a passion. Um, Yeah, they can start something in their little apartment or in their parents' garage, um, but the affordability of it Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of where they live begins to affect their capacity to feel comfortable uh, starting a business where they're not paying um, you know, half of their income or their revenues uh, on on housing. Mm-hmm. Um, so being able to afford housing means you're not spending more than thirty percent of your income on on housing. So so we live in an environment where a lot of people, uh, when you add commute cost, their expenditure on housing because they live further away from where they work, um, that commute cost becomes a housing cost as well. Mm-hmm. So when you add those up with the housing cost itself you're now spending in excess of 50% mm-hmm. of your income on housing. So that's that's not sustainable. Right. And so so it's not so much, you know, that the big employers, the big employers will probably still be able to hang around because they have roots here. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's the small uh, enterprising uh, employers that are probably the first to figure out we can't afford to, to stay here. Mm-hmm. We can't pay employees enough to be able to afford the housing around here. Uh, and then, of course, the folks that want to start businesses are also thinking about cost of housing. Mm-hmm. And so so there, it affects us in, in many ways, mm-hmm. uh, the, the cost of housing. Right. 
Right. So what do you think is one topic or issue perhaps that's not receiving the attention that it deserves? Um, I, I don't know that. I mean, obviously, the, the events of the recent weeks with, um, with the, uh, the killing of George Floyd in, uh, in uh, uh, Minneapolis is one that calls to mind the issues of social equity. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, it's not so much that it's not receiving um, attention. We certainly have given attention in our plan, but I don't know that people see it in the light that it needs to be seen. In. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it, it's a, it's a, it's one of several topics. Um, it relates to housing. It relates to mobility mm. uh, in so many ways uh, because it's about access to opportunities, access to recreation, access to uh, what makes an environment livable mm-hmm. uh, for people. Uh, we've seen its effect in terms of social equity. We've seen that effect also with the outcomes in the pandemic, mm-hmm. where the the brunt of the pandemic is borne by. Um, the minority population, for example, uh, mostly uh, uh, Black and Latinos. And we see where the reasons for that has an underlying issue that ties back to inequities in in our society, Uh, whether because there's an overwhelming majority of of this groups working in the front lines, so they're more in contact with the pandemic. But we also know that as a result of um, the inequities, um, access to education, access to healthcare are also affected. So, mm-hmm. so this is a major topic that has um, a a wider arc than mm-hmm. maybe we've given it more so. Uh, I think we tend to look at it as oh, environmental justice. Let's look at uh, the disparate impact of the projects that we do. Mm-hmm. Who gets the benefits? Who gets the disbenefits? Well, that's a good start. But it goes beyond that because it's really taking a step back and looking at uh, what might be uh, baked in inequities at the at the at the beginning mm. uh, with the pandemic and having everybody work at home, for example. It's easier for some folks to work at home, mm-hmm. uh, but not so much for others. There are a lot of people that work the front lines um, that have to go to work, um, whether they you know they want to or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have to go to work. Um, but even for those who are at home, uh, we're noticing that, especially with the kids, not every kid had access to broadband mm. on the same level mm-hmm. due to access education. Uh, and not everybody was able to access telehealth at the mm-hmm. same level uh, because of you know ac- the, uh, the issue of uh, inequities in society. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think dealing with environmental justice, but more at a I think uh, uh, with a deeper meaning and a deeper study of of its systemic nature, mm-hmm. I think it's one area of, of topic that we want to spend some more time in. We did some, well, I think in our ConnexoCal, we spent a lot of time on environmental justice. We have a working group on environmental justice, but I, I want to go back to that and spend some more time looking at how we might come back with policies that begin to address broadband as a necessity uh, because if we're all going to have to work at home and if we're all going to be teaching our kids at home then broadband should not be the reason why the kid can't mm-hmm. get an education mm-hmm. um, because they can't 
you know, it's not about just sending out an iPad to them. It's what kind of connection do they have? Many homes have one computer, maybe, mm-hmm. and that's same computer the parent and the child will need to use for both work. And uh, so there are a number of issues there that I think uh, when you start to peel the onion of, equi- uh, mm-hmm. of the equity subject, uh, it gets to be very complex and, and rich with opportunities, I think, uh, mm-hmm. for us to make some headway mm-hmm. and change what, what society looks like. Mm-hmm. I really appreciate your perspective and what you just said. It's rich with opportunity. And I think that that I hope that's how we approach looking forward to the challenges and opportunities that are coming our way. And it goes back to what you were saying earlier, too, of the most important part about planning is the people and keeping in mind of who we are planning for. And that provides the meaning and the purpose behind the planning. So kind of wrapping up our time, but I wanted to ask in your time at SCAG, is there any particular milestone or accomplishment that stands out and makes you makes you proud? Well, obviously getting the plan done was a major <laughs> milestone for us. Uh, and I was um, really proud of the team's work, um, especially because um, the last leg of the work was all done remotely. Um, wow. So we had left, we actually, the last day we were in our office was um, middle of March. And so we've been working since middle of March. So now remotely and, and the plan was still put together and we were able to, um, to ensure that all of the, uh, all of the T's were crossed and the I's were dotted uh, such that we, we had a plan before our board on May 7th uh, for their approval for uh, conformity purposes. So that, to me, that was a moment of pride, uh, was mm-hmm. to actually have a completed document. But I have to tell you, um, I've had intermediate moments of, of pride when we got the active base model um, peer reviewed and certified and ready to go uh, last year. That was a moment of, of celebration and, and pride uh, to have this huge ABM active base model that I think was was going to change and did change. Mm-hmm. the level of analysis that we're able to bring to connect so far. Um, our public outreach process last year, um, for me, was also a, a moment of pride. It was, it, was, um, it was almost daunting that we were able to, we were going to do all of those things, be able to survey and get 100 or 1,500 surveys or so, uh, get you know, uh, uh, curbside surveys done, get the community-based organizations to reach into the population sector to participate and then have uh, almost 30 public meetings across the region. Um, For me, when we brought all of that together, that was also something where a major milestone to to celebrate. Mm -hmm. And and of course, being able to get the draft document out to circulation last November was also a cool thing. So yeah, you know, it's not just one thing. Um, There's been moments like that as we went along uh, in the process. So, uh, it, it's, uh, you got to celebrate every milestone. <laughs> it's fine. That's the way I see it. Uh, otherwise you, uh, you lose sight of, of the accomplishments of many members of the team, mm-hmm. uh, which includes a lot of our stakeholders outside of Sudan. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing and taking the time to be on our podcast and also just for Skag's investment in the region and all the work that went into Connect SoCal as well, that being the most recent milestone and accomplishment that you are really proud of. And so um, do you have any final remarks before we sign off? Well, you know, we um, we at Skag are nothing if we're not a, uh, a 
collection of our um, of our member agencies, uh, and we appreciate um, you know every one of them. Our board is made up of all electeds from local jurisdictions, and so we don't do work without that interaction with uh, with our member agencies. And I think one area that we uh, also appreciate more so is working with our sub-regional agencies like WRCOG. Um, we appreciate the fact that you all are closer to our member agencies than we are, in fact. And so there are some elements of our work that requires that we work through you. So we've always appreciated the cooperation and, and, and the level of uh, professionalism and, and partnership that we have. So thank you for the opportunity to share with you. Um, and I appreciate uh, you all reaching out to us. Of course. Thank you so much. Thanks, Richard. For more information on WRCOG and the COGCAST, please visit our website at www.wrcog.us. For more information about Riverside County's efforts on COVID-19, please visit rivcoph.org coronavirus.